Well, good morning, church. All because of you, Jesus. What a beautiful, beautiful sound that was, you know, as we were singing that song. It's like, where would we be without Jesus? Well, we would be lost and in our sins still. And it's all because of Him that we get to have salvation. And and this morning, we get to... Um, we get to do something a little different. This morning is Palm Sunday. And and it, again, it just kind of goes with that song that we were just singing. All because of what Jesus did. Palm Sunday is such an important portion of that whole thing. Um, we're going to take a break from the Sermon on the Mount for a couple of weeks. Um, because today is Palm Sunday and next week is Easter uh, Sunday, we get to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. But it just kind of, again, man, Palm Sunday is, 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 it's where it all begins in that sense. When, when you look at the history of how God intended everything to flow, that Palm Sunday would be so significant for us as Christians. It, it, it marks the beginning of what is called Passion Week. The Passion Week of Christ. It is a week of suffering. And, 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 and it's almost like this, this week, it culminates, it finishes off, it ends up with the crucifixion, the death, and burial of Jesus Christ. And you're almost like, why do we celebrate that? Because it's important. The Scriptures tell us that it's, it is important that He had to. He had to be crucified. He had to die. And He had to be buried. I mean, that's what this week is all about. It's, a, it's about the suffering that He would go through. Everything that, that would happen to Him. Now, even though we are taking a break from our series of kingdom ethics, as we've been studying on the Sermon on the Mount, even though we're taking that break, we see throughout the Passion Week, some of those kingdom ethics that He has been teaching us through His Word. Those things that Jesus taught His disciples, He now teaches by example. As, as I was looking and reflecting on some of the, the kingdom ethics that we've been learning through the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes this week are just amazing. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And Jesus portrays why we are blessed. He is all those things that blessed is the man or blessed are those. We see His meekness. We see all those things. When, when we we're getting to the end of chapter 5 where, where it talks about just the, the, the way that He says, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Do all these things. Those are things that we see in this Passion Week that Jesus did for us. He left us an example that there was times to stand up to people and there was times to let them do whatever they wanted to do. He taught by example. Jesus is the righteous King. And that's what this Passion Week, this is what Palm Sunday is all about because He lets them, for the first time, 
look at him as the Messiah, as the King to come. Every time, every other time he says, hey, just keep it on the down low, man. We don't need to talk about that yet. But Palm Sunday was huge. Because he came in riding on a horse or on a donkey like a king. Different kind of king. But he is the righteous king. And he never gets away from his righteousness. Even throughout this week, man, his, his righteousness is, is, is expounded, it's magnified, it's amplified, if you will. See, in this week, this Passion Week, it, it, it shows us how his righteousness exceeded the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. It's an important week, guys. Passion Week is also known as Holy Week in, in many circles. It is a very religious week all over the world. And it is filled with rituals, with ceremonies, with services. Many religious circles, they, they fast throughout the week in, an or, in, in order to afflict their, their bodies and their souls to identify with Christ and what this week means. Now, that doesn't sound bad at all, to be able to do that, to remember that. But too many do it because they have taken an oath or a vow in the hopes of gaining favor with God. In other words, they, they suffer this week. And so God owes them something because they have afflicted their own souls. That is what is called religion. Man trying to reach God in an effort to be in good standings with God. They do a lot of these things and you will see that throughout the world this week. Even today in many circles. But to the born again Christian, to the follower of Jesus Christ, to, to you who are disciples, it is a special week for us. It is a week of remembering. Remembering all that Jesus went through on our behalf. And in order to bring about salvation. If you read, and I encourage you throughout this week, read through the Gospels. Just, just go through, towards the end where it talks about the Passion Week. Go, go through all the Gospels if you want. But as you go through the Gospels, you will find that Jesus was tested. He was examined by the religious leaders of the day in the hopes to find something wrong with Him, in the hopes of finding fault with Jesus. That's why they tested Him. That's why this week is so important. And that's why He went through all that He went through. What, what the religious leaders did not understand that I hope you, you can glean from as you're reading, as, as, as we celebrate this day, but as you're reading, what they did not comprehend or understand is that Jesus needed to be tested. He needed to be examined because He was the Passover lamb. And every Passover lamb had to be blameless. It had to be, it had to be pure in that sense. And Jesus is the Passover lamb. And so he needed to be examined and tested in that respect. 
because he would he he came to take away the sin of the world and he needed to be found faultless. What I love about the fact that that when when Moses instituted or when God instituted Passover through Moses, they took a lamb and they killed it. And for years, hundreds of years, they would they would kill a lamb year after year, hundreds of thousands of lambs. And yet when Jesus comes on the scene, when he begins his ministry, John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he is going to be the, 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 the Passover lamb. Jesus was a good Jew, man. He showed up to, to the Passover in Jerusalem every year as a kid, as an adult. He showed up. But this time, as he made his way <clears throat> to Jerusalem, knowing that he was the Lamb of God, knowing that He, this time, would be sacrificed for the sins of the world, He went willingly. He, he knew it. And He knew the testing that would come. And He did it willfully. I just love that about Him. This Passion Week was a necessary week for Jesus. On that good Friday, or on that Friday, he would be sacrificed. He knew it. He would finish his work on this earth. That's what he came for. This would be his crowning achievement as King Jesus. I love that about him. He would be crowned this week, at the end of the week. He would be crowned king. King of the Jews. Not the type of crown that you and I would think of. Oh, as Christians, we know exactly what kind of crown that was. One with thorns that began the bleeding in so many different ways. Man, what an amazing time. If you will, turn to the Old Testament. I'm sure it's up there already. Psalm 118, if you haven't made your way there. We're going to be in the Old Testament this morning, this Palm Sunday morning. This psalm is a phenomenal psalm. It is sandwiched between the shortest psalm and the longest psalm. It's right in the middle. And I don't know if some of you guys have ever gotten the email that 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 Psalm 118, 8, verse 8, is the middle of the Bible. I think that's fascinating. I'm thinking, who had that much time to count? It's like, that's it right there. But apparently somebody had enough time to figure that one out, that it's right in the middle. Psalm 118.8 is the middle verse. And so I'm just taking their word for it, that that's what it is. But But this psalm in particular... This psalm, Psalm 118, completes a group of Hallel songs. From, from Psalm 113 to 118 are the Hallel psalms. And the word psalm means song. The word Hallel means praise. And that is where we get the phrase Hallelujah which means praise the Lord. Mark referenced the fact that we are to praise the Lord. And this song 
is one of those songs that we, we, we are to praise the Lord with. It, it is possible that Psalm 118 was written for the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was, was the Feast of Booths in so many translations. More than likely, it was the first celebration of the feast when the people, the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, had returned from their exile. After being exiled for 70 years in, in, in Babylon, being captive for 70 years, they came back to their homeland. The contents of this psalm suggest that God, in reestablishing His nation, triumphed over the nations who had come in and occupied the land of Israel at that time. And He came in to reestablish them and to fort off or, or fend off the plans that they had to stop the nation of Israel from returning. From being reestablished, if you will, in their land. You can read the entire story in the book of Nehemiah and, and Ezra. This, this psalm describes the festive procession, the parade, the march, if you will, that the nation of Israel or the children of Israel would make to the sanctuary and later on into the temple to sacrifice to the Lord and to praise the Lord as He reestablished His people. So because the song was sung at the festivals, it is no wonder that this psalm here that we are going to cover this morning it is no wonder that this psalm was on the lips of the people on that day, that Palm Sunday, when Jesus would make His triumphal entry into Jerusalem to begin this Passion Week. This psalm more than likely was also sung in the upper room on that Thursday evening before He was crucified as He had the, this Last Supper with His with his disciples, they sang the Hillel Psalms. And so this one being the last one, probably in the upper room or as they're headed over to the Garden of, e uh, Garden of Eden, the Garden of Gethsemane. <laughs> because he was about to triumph over death, to reestablish creation back to himself, back to God. The enemy tried to stop that plan, but to no avail, God would have the victory. And we would have salvation. The people shouted, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, save now, O Lord. And so, I'm assuming you are now at Psalm 118. And let us read the whole psalm. It says, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say, His mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, His mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say, His mercy endures forever. I called on the Lord in distress. 
the Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. For the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. They, they were quenched like a fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song. And He has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation. This is the tent of the righteous. The tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live. And declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but He has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them. And I will praise the Lord. This is the gates, the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in your eyes, in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray. Send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord. And he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercies endure forever. Amen. Huh? When we look at this psalm in light of the history of Israel and why it was written and why it was sung, we can see the Lord's faithfulness to the nation of Israel through the deliverance of the Lord and how He showed mercy upon them. The word mercy means loving kindness. In essence, it means not getting what you deserve. I think that's the easiest way to remember mercy. Not getting what you deserve. Now, even though the nation of Israel had been taken captive, because of their disobedience, they didn't deserve to be reestablished to God. They had turned so far away from God in their life and as a nation 
that, that at the end of the, of the kings, they were taken captives. First, the northern kingdom was taken by the Assyrians. Then the southern kingdom was taken by the Babylonians. And for 70 years, they would be held captive. All because they turned from God in disobedience. And so they did not deserve to be, to be reestablished as God's people. But His mercy endures forever. And guys, I was reminded of, 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 of Ephesians chapter 2 as I was reading through this and studying through this, that, that we too have no right, we do not deserve to be reestablished with God. But He does. And so, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-7, through 7, it says, But you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, but God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He loved the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was His. And when they rebelled, when they committed sexual immorality in, 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 in the spiritual sense, spiritual fornication, and as they desired to get away from God, He allowed their disobedience to take them away. And for all those years, they were lost in that sense, in another country, being held captive. And yet, in the, it was the Lord's doing that brought them back. We were born into sin. And at one time in our life, He called us out of that deadness where we were at and made us alive in Him because of His great mercy. He is so merciful, guys. Going back to Psalm 18, as we look at it once again, and again, there's going to be kind of a lot of reading because again, it's just an amazing psalm. But verses 1-4, through four, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Let all Israel say His mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say His mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say His mercy endures forever. The call to give thanks goes out. And it goes out to all. To the nation of Israel, to the priests of the house of, of Aaron, and to all who fear the Lord. All who are worshipers, they were to give thanks for the goodness of the Lord. By remembering His mercy, because His mercy endures forever. And they were to remember that phrase, His mercy endures forever. It doesn't end. 
God is full of mercy. He is always full of mercy. He can never not be full of mercy. He is mercy. And yet, He uses His mercy. He uses it with discretion. He tells us in the Scriptures, He will have mercy upon whom He will have mercy. So those who who heed the call to give thanks can and will receive mercy. And they will be reestablished. They will be reestablished in Him because of His mercy, not because of their doing, but because of His doings. So when they were reestablished like that, the automatic thing that would come out from them is giving thanks to God. That would be an automatic. Again, not, not getting what we deserve. Understanding His mercy. That we have not gotten justice and we have not gotten, gotten judgment. But His mercy. The natural response for us when we've known that we've been forgiven for all our sins is thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. I did not deserve that. You're so good to me. That should be our natural response. And so that's the call. For these people, oh, give thanks to the Lord for his mercies endure forever. Verses five through nine, it says, I called on the Lord in distress and the Lord answered me and set me on a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better, this is that middle verse, it is met better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in princes. The call goes out again to all. And the writer of this psalm not only answers that call, but he also calls out himself because he is in distress. And so he calls out to his God. The writer of this psalm needs deliverance. He needs deliverance. You see, when someone is in distress, it is hard, virtually impossible, for them to save themselves. This psalm is a psalm of deliverance. It is a psalm of salvation, and salvation has come from an outside source here. Because this man was so helpless. And that's where salvation comes, from outside. It doesn't come from within. It comes from outside. Somebody else comes and saves. The odds of, the odds were against the nation of Israel. No nation, no nation in history has ever been reestablished after being away from their land for over a generation, for over 40 years. No nation has ever come together and been reestablished. But the nation of Israel, it's happened twice. When they came back as a nation after the 70 years of captivity in Babylon, as, as, as Nehemiah shares about the rebuilding of Jerusalem, when they became a nation again, and then again in 1948, After 70 A.D. when when the Romans came in and decimated Jerusalem and took apart everything. 
And the Jews were scattered all over the world in, in 70 AD. And in 1948, Israel became a nation once again. Twice in their history has God reestablished them. The nation of Israel had to acknowledge that their salvation, their deliverance had come from someone besides themselves and from someone beyond themselves, someone greater. You see, mere man could not have saved them. They could not put their trust or their confidence in man. Even those who were in power, they could not trust them, the princes, because they were all limited by their humanity. Even with all the resources that they had, they were limited. They could not bring salvation to themselves. This was out of their realm. You see, this was not a physical realm kind of thing. This was extraordinary, what was happening to the nation of Israel. And so it would be futile for them. Pointless, useless to try and seek deliverance in the physical realm. Even to fight the battles in the physical realm, it came to nothing because of their limitations. And it would, it would only be the Lord, God Almighty, who would come in and be able to save the nation of Israel. And so from verse 10 to 14, it says, All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me, yes, they surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. They were quenched like the fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I may fall, that I might fall. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. These, these verses, they show us that the real enemy that was coming against them was not a physical enemy per se. It was something far greater, far more sinister. Trying to destroy the nation of Israel for good because they, they, that other entity knew that Messiah would come from the nation of Israel. Trying to destroy it. This is a spiritual battle. And the Lord Himself would have to intervene, and He did. And that is why the psalmist invokes the name of the Lord several times. He knew who would be their deliverer, their salvation. And I think that verse 14 kind of stands alone in this psalm. As a nation of Israel, they understood where their help came from. They understood who would be their deliverer. It was the Lord and the Lord alone who could save them. But He had not just saved them. He had become their salvation. He had become their everything. Verses 15 through 21, it says, The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live. And declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, 
but He has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness and I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. Look at what this salvation gave them. It gave them assurance. It gave them confidence that there is a God in heaven who would save them, not themselves. They had gone from death to life, just like us. As as I read in Ephesians chapter 2 just a while ago, they had gone from life to death, or from death to life (laughs) because of what the Lord had done for them. The nation of Israel stood established now. They stood grounded. They stood rejoicing in the one who brought them or brought about their salvation. And they gave praise to whom praise was due. And that would be the Lord. They didn't exalt themselves. Nor did they exalt their leaders. It was the Lord who had done valiantly. And they knew that. They understood that. He had answered them and become their salvation. Verse 22, it says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It was marvelous in our eyes. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, Send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We will bless you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord. And he has lifted us. Or he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horn of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. In this psalm, the nation of Israel had been rejected and overlooked. The nation of Israel was now considered insignificant. It has become, though, the chief cornerstone only because of who the Lord is. The nation of Israel is a vital part in and throughout history. And it is because of the Lord's doing. And they cannot take any credit, even today. There is no way that they can take credit for any part of history except that the Lord has done it in them. This little bitty nation... (laughs) has got to be the most important nation of all the nations throughout history. Throughout mankind. Everything hinges on this nation from here till the Lord comes back. Everything hinges on Israel, on this nation. On what happens in and around Israel. And so they rejoiced. And they shouted, Hosanna. Save now, I pray, O Lord. Hosanna, save now. Their land has become prosperous once again. Even today, it has become very prosperous. It has been reestablished by the Lord. 
They were blessed because they had come in the name of the Lord. And they would go and bless the Lord in the house of the Lord. Verses 27 and 29, once again, the Lord is God, or the God is the Lord, and He has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. This psalm was an important psalm to the nation of Israel. In the reestablishing of the nation, because it had been in exile for so long, and God's mighty hand has brought them through everything again and again and again, and it will continue to do that. And this psalm that we have read, and we will read again, <laughs> this psalm is a messianic, messianic psalm as well. It is prophetic in nature. Because it has to do with Jesus, all of it. All of it has to do with, with the coming Messiah and what would be happening with the Messiah and how He would come and be salvation. And His triumphant entry into Jerusalem on that day, on that Palm Sunday, it would be bring about the suffering that He must go through. In order to have this victory, in order to, to triumph once again. It would also bring about the reestablishment, not just of the nation of Israel. And that's, again, he had such a heart for Israel. In, in Luke's Gospel, he, he cried over the city and saying, if you only knew that today was your day, if you only knew that today was a day of your visitation because that day was prophesied by Daniel that there would be on that exact day that he would, have, he would ride into Jerusalem. But he came to reestablish his whole creation to himself, to God, that they may dwell in him and through him, through salvation that he would bring. You see, this was the Lord's doing of sending Jesus, not just to be born, but to live this life and to come for that very moment on that Palm Sunday to ride in as King. It was the Lord's doing. And He would bring about salvation through His suffering. And it would be through, to His credit, not our credit. There's nothing we could have done to save ourselves. That's why this Palm Sunday is so important, people. That we will rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, as we think about the sufferings that He would go through, as we read through this Passion Week and we see what, what lies in store for Him on Thursday night when, 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 when they get, gather together and He teaches His disciples and then right after that, the Garden of Gethsemane and the betrayal on Good Friday and His death. All to the Lord's credit. If you will, turn over to, to Matthew chapter 21. I want to read to you the triumphal entry. Keep your finger back in, in, in Psalm 118. I want to come back and I want to read the whole thing as we close. 
But I want to read it to you in light of what we just read or what we're going to read in Matthew 21. As Jesus fulfills that psalm that we just covered this morning. Jesus had fulfilled the prophecy that was written in Zechariah. Zechariah 9.9 where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the fold of a donkey. He will fulfill that prophecy as well. Matthew 21 says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And they brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set them, set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitude who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna! to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when they had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. What Jesus was doing here in Matthew, what Jesus was doing that day, that Palm Sunday that we remember, it was a spirit, it was spiritual in nature. Oh, he would suffer physically. And he would be given over to man, and they will do to him whatever they want to do to him. And he would turn the other cheek. And he would be as a sheep that is, that is brought before the slaughter, and he's not going to say a word to them on that day. Oh, through the testing. Oh, there's going to be some give and take there. But He had come. Jesus had come to reestablish man back to God. To those who were present that day, even His disciples, they thought that Jesus was now going to establish His kingdom on earth. They thought that. And so his disciples were kind of excited because they thought we're finally going to get to that place where he is going to come and he's going to overthrow the Roman Empire. You see, all this time they kept on fighting who would be the greatest in his kingdom, on this earthly kingdom. But all the while it was a spiritual thing. It was not a physical thing. He came to do something that was far bigger, far greater than any physical thing could ever do. 
His kingdom had to do with the kingdom of God. His kingdom had to do with the kingdom of heaven. And that's why He came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And all the people were caught up in the moment. And they shouted, Hosanna, save now, O Lord. Do it now. They would have been satisfied. I could guarantee you that day they would have been satisfied with a physical deliverance. But Jesus had come to deliver them and all of mankind from their sin to reestablish man back to his creator. Palm Sunday is what got that whole process going. It's an amazing time. Go back to Psalm 118. My hope is that one day you will always remember Psalm 118 because we read through it three different times on a Sunday morning. Let me read it to you and we will close. You're going... Psalm 118, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Let Israel now say His mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, His mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say, His mercy endures forever. I called on the Lord in my distress, and the Lord answered me, and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do to me. The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They surrounded me, yes, they surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees, They were quenched like the fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song. And He has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live. And declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but He has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, For you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We will bless you from the house of the Lord. 
God is the Lord. And He has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise You. You are my God, I will exalt You. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good for His mercy endures forever. That we would remember that psalm in light of all that Jesus came to do on Palm Sunday. Reading it first, understanding that it was for the nation of Israel, but now it's for, me, for you and me. That you would read that psalm and say, this is the Lord's doing. He has done this. He has become my salvation. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, blessed be your name. Your mercy endures forever. Lord, I am so grateful, so blessed to be able to teach a message like this to my brothers and sisters on this Palm Sunday, Lord. What an important time for us as believers to reflect, to remember, to understand that this Palm Sunday, Lord God, so many years ago, started the ball rolling so that you would pay the price that we could never pay. So that you could establish us and reestablish us, Lord God, because we could never have done it on our own. We would still have been lost and going to hell. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Understanding that this last time that you came to Jerusalem, you would be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And you, would, you, you gave yourself over as the Passover Lamb. We are grateful, Lord. Lord, bring salvation, Lord God. Continue to bring salvation. You have become our salvation. I pray, God, that if there's any in this room right now, Lord God, who have not been saved, and they know that, Lord God, they know that they are not walking with you, Lord. I pray that you would bring salvation right now. Oh, Lord, those who feel so far away from you that they too would repent and come back to you. Lord, this is your doing. Please, Lord, draw people to yourself in such a powerful way, Lord. God, you have become our salvation. Lord, thank you. We cry out to you. And you've heard us, Lord. We honor you, Lord. We want to rejoice today for your mercy endures forever. Thank you, O oh Lord. Thank you for all the work that you've done. And we get to benefit from it. Blessed be your name, Lord. Hosanna. Save now, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.